One man, one mission, to equip the Church of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and awaken the Church to the voice of the Spirit. David Cuppet brings to you the School of the Holy Spirit from one of his many missions from around the world, where he aligns with apostolic leaders to eradicate spiritual blindness and reveal the true authority of believers in Christ, to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. Open your heart and get ready to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for you in this week's session of the School of the Holy Spirit. School is in session. You know, the Lord, uh, the Lord never calls anybody to do anything that's possible. If it was possible, He'd do it. He, I mean, what do you need the Lord for, right? The Lord never calls anybody to do something's possible. He calls men and women to do impossible things. When, 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 the, when the angel visited Mary, right? He says, the Holy Spirit's going to visit you. You're going to bear the Son of God. And he says, don't worry about the whole man thing. With men, you know, nothing's possible with men. But with God, all things are possible with God. He actually said, he actually allowed them to enter into the super, he allowed her to enter into a supernatural to believe that what you mean, I'm going to bear a son that is not made of human <laughs> relations, right? I'm going to, you're, you're going to cause me to get pregnant. And she bore forth an impossible thing. And everybody who is prophetic, how many prophetic people are in here? If you're not prophetic, my goal is to awaken you to the prophetic, okay? Every prophetic person has to believe in the same fashion Mary did that a seed is released into you. The Lord actually speaks to you. A seed is received that has to be germinated, held onto, carried through so that it can be brought forth into the world, right? You have to do the exact same thing Mary did. Jesus, the Word, is still being inseminated into men and women, and He's waiting for men and women to do impossible things. Right? So how's the Lord do that? When, when, he, when He spoke, when He came to Jeremiah, Jeremiah is this young man, right? Jeremiah is this, he, 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 he's, 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 he's nothing. And the Lord comes to him and I says, I've called you to the nations. And Jeremiah, is, he's shaking in his shoes. He's shaking in his boots. Right? And it says the Lord touched his mouth. He said, you're going he's gonna, you're gonna to crush nations. You're going to shake nations. You're going to tear things down and build things up. All that supernatural stuff. And then he asked Jeremiah a very important question. He said, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah described, I see the branch. Right? And the Lord said, you see well, Jeremiah, for what you see, I am well able to execute. And that is the very picture of every person who is walking with the Lord, who waits on the Lord to hear the voice of God. And the voice of God, when He speaks to you, it's not just like it's a nice feely, touchy-feely thing. It's because not only does He awaken you to be alive in the Spirit, to see, have dreams and visions, right? That was the reason Jesus came, was to cross you into the supernatural, not just to forgive sin, but to anoint you with oil. That you would be crossed over into the supernatural. Because when you see it, it's not just to see it, it's to execute it. It's to trust God that He will execute His Word. Right? Are you with me? Everybody okay with that? So my question to you is, 
in your daily routine of church? Are you just a churchgoer or are you pressing God to hear, to see in the Spirit and challenge Him in His promise of execution? Are you just a churchgoer? Huh? You just like to come and raise your hands? Or are you something that the Lord is going to use to do an impossible thing? <laughs> this, is a, this, is, this place is impossible, literally, for a church to be planted in. Right adjacent, right across the road, is one of the most darkest spots in the whole state of Ohio. Right? I don't know if you're aware of that, but this church and the location of what it's called to do is called to do a supernatural thing, and it's looking for supernatural people not to trust in what you see in the natural, but to trust in what the Lord reveals to you that you would release the supernatural on earth. Everybody okay? Everybody all right with that? Let me tell you a story. I went to bed on New Year's Eve on 2015, and I, woke, I had a dream. And the Lord came to me in a dream, and He laid a cloth. I'm laying, I'm laying asleep on a, on, a, on, a, on a flat rock. I'm, I'm laying inside of a, what looks to be like a tomb. And the Lord comes and He lays a cloth on me. And when He lays a cloth on me, I sit up awake. And when I sit up awake, He looks at me, and He puts this book. It has one page. It has a cover. And on the inside, it has one page. And the book actually said, on the cover, it said the book of Thomas. And he opens the book and reads the page to me. And he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils and baptize. And he said, a man from India is going to call you. You're to go. And I'm, boom, I wake up. Right? Guess what happened? Seven days later, a man from India called me. I didn't know anybody from India, never been to India, was actually, I saw all the, uh, what, what are those um, movies that were based out of India with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all that kind of stuff. You know, as a kid, I saw that stuff, that, that India is the last place on earth that I ever dreamed or want, would want to go. Did not want to even fathom going to a third world nation like that. Seven days later, a man from India somehow saw a message that was posted on YouTube where I preach in a church. He calls me and he says, will you please come? And the Lord had already prepared me seven days earlier that I, he was calling me to go to India. Well, guess what? I didn't know anybody. Suddenly I know one person. And that one person turned into over the last two and a half years preaching to over 60,000 people, seeing over 20,000 people baptized in the power of the Holy Ghost, seeing the blind see, the deaf hear, seeing deaf mutes by the hundreds speaking, seeing people on mats get up in the middle of the message and walk. In a nation that is less than 1% Christian, I preached in places where they literally drug the few Christians that were there out in the street. The Hindus are a very violent people. They drug them out in the street and would beat them. I had the experience of actually going into, a, into one of these churches and preaching. And when I started to preach, the presence of God came into the, into the service so heavy that there were actually Hindus on the street that when they walked into the threshold, they didn't know why they were being drawn to the, to the threshold of the door. But when they would walk to the threshold of the door, they would come in and fall on their face. 
And you say, well, we don't see that kind of stuff really in, in, in America. We kind of get the goosey willies and see things in worship and kind of get charged up a little bit. But we don't really see that supernatural stuff where people rise up and walk and the deaf hear and the blind see. But I'm here to tell you that if you allow him to speak to you and you say, yes, Lord, I'll go. He is going to do a supernatural thing, not only to you, but through you. Amen. That's impossible. I didn't know anybody in India. Two and a half years ago, I, haven't, I didn't know anybody in India. And now two and a half years later, not only, not only, let me tell you this, within weeks of me saying yes, Lord, and trying to make arrangements, never flew to India, didn't know how to make arrangements in hotels, nothing. I had people literally walking up to me with $500 and $1,000 checks and saying, I don't know why, but the Lord told me to give this to you. Okay. Can I tell you, the Lord doesn't call anybody to do, to do anything that's possible. He calls you to do the impossible. Amen? Amen. And if, I, if you feel like I'm stretching your faith, that's my job. I'm here to stretch your faith because there's people in here that are supposed to be doing the exact same thing. You don't know how or why it's going to happen, but when the Lord speaks one word to you, one, it only takes one seed. One seed. Do you know the parable of the sower? The parable of the sower actually says that Satan is after one thing. He's after the seed. You know why? Because that one seed has the power to reproduce. And he's waiting for a heart that would hold on to it, that would not let all the conditions that are described in the parable of the sower come and steal that seed. So your job is not to come to church and do all these churchy things. Your main relationship aspect with the Lord is to hear him Get that seed, hold on to that seed, knowing that the seed that the Lord plants in your heart will reproduce. It's not a question of if, it will reproduce. It may take three months, it may be immediate, it may take a year, it may take five years, it doesn't matter. But the Lord promised that if He speaks, He creates, it will reproduce. So is your life centered around church or is your life centered around the one who has the power to release life into you, and when you grasp it, it becomes a tree and goes out and produces fruit. Are you a churchgoer? Or are you a believer? Are you one that thirsts after the presence of God, who waits to hear the next thing He has to give you because what He speaks to you releases life? Huh? Does that, does that get anybody excited? I mean, that excites me. Say this with me. Say, Lord, if you can give Dave a nation, give me a nation. That guy didn't know anybody. And now you've produced fruit. Lord, do it to me. All right, now here's the deal. He's going to come speak to you. And when He speaks to you, you better hold on to that dream with all your heart. Because a true prophetic word, a true dream from God, Satan will do anything possible to take it from you. He'll take whatever has the power to reproduce. He'll come with any trickery, any deception, Anything, whether it's a relationship, a broken situation in a church you're in, no matter what the situation, he will try vehemently, whether it's through an unbelieving uh, spouse, 
a problem with a child and you lose hope, whatever it is, he will come to steal what he spoke to. Satan will come to steal what he spoke to you. Right? So life comes from the Holy Ghost speaking into the heart of man. Right? Everybody okay with that? So the question is, do you come just to sit in a seat to have fellowship and hanging out with your friends or is your whole relational dynamic centered on the one who speaks and can give life? See, we have so many churches that are set up in America that are more about the camaraderie and the hanging out, kind of like looking like rotary clubs, you know, kind of looking like the, the cool place to hang out. And the Lord is actually waiting for individuals. Individuals. Jeremiah was an individual. David was an individual. Elijah was an individual. People who will press God until He speaks, knowing that when He speaks, fruit will come from the seed that He sows in your heart. Amen? Everybody with me on that? Man, you guys are quiet. Everybody okay in here? (laughs) Jesus actually said this. You know, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, the guy who actually knew everything, a Pharisee actually had to be able to regurgitate, actually memorize the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. He had to actually memorize it and be able to verbally state it. And he comes and he's looking at Jesus and he's, he's in awe because Jesus is this supernatural being from, from heaven, right? He's in awe of what Jesus is doing in the crowds. And he realizes something. He's, he, he's, he's, he's in awe of what is happening. And Jesus speaks to him and He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Now, this is a man who has the Bible memorized. He knows exactly what the words say in the Bible. We have so many churches that are based on memorizing and worshiping the Bible. And I know this is a touchy subject. But the Bible can only be made alive through God. And there's thousands upon thousands upon mega thousands of things that the Lord can speak to you that are not even in the Bible. India was not in the Bible. Lord spoke to me and sent me and produced something by believing in a relationship that I couldn't go back to words on a page and trust and believe in. I had to believe in the voice that came to me in a dream and spoke. Amen. Right? So not only did, did he respond to Nicodemus and say, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Jesus came back to him a second time and said, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. How many of you know that the reason that Jesus came was not just to forgive your sin? He came so that you could cross over into the Spirit, that you could not only see visions and have dreams in the Spirit, but to actually have visitations, right? The Bible is littered with angels coming and visiting people. The Bible is littered with people being taken to heaven and saying, Zechariah, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Right? 
to cross over into heaven. And so Jesus is actually telling the one who has the Bible memorized that you're a blind man. If you can't see in the Spirit, yet you have what I spoke of years ago memorized, you're a blind man. You don't know me. In fact, that's what he said. That's what he said to the scribes and the Pharisees. John chapter 5, they're questioning them. He, they're an out, outrage. They're an outrage because Jesus is working all these supernatural miracles. And, and Jesus says, says to them, he says, you search the scripture because you think that life comes out of the scripture, but you can't see me, the living Christ, standing in front of you. I'm a living Christ. I am the God of heaven. I am the one who looked down. I am the one who was at the beginning of time. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And you can't see me. You can read all about this stuff, have all this stuff memorized, but you don't know the living Christ standing in front of you. So if Jesus told the religious people of that time that, do you think He's still telling the religious who are focusing their life on just coming to church to hear the next good sermon or to, you know, whatever you do around the whole context of relationship in the church and why you come and why you're connected to people. The Lord Jesus wants a deep relationship with every person that is so powerful that you trust Him in a way that when He speaks, that He will come and speak to you and release life release nations, release cities, release regions to you. And you might be sitting there saying, well, woe is me. That's, there's no way. There's no way. That's a lie from the devil. That is an absolute lie from the devil. I knew no one in India. Absolutely not one person. Not one. Zero. And suddenly, the Lord spoke, and then there was light. The Lord spoke, and then there were people who feel and embrace the presence of Almighty God. Amen? I still have people. I have guys from India texting me every week. Guys, I'm listen, there was over, a th over the last two and a half years, there's been over a thousand pastors get baptized in the Holy Ghost and have dreams and visions. What do you think is happening to all those people? powerless churches who are now having dreams and visions and they're all they're saying they're saying I, I, I don't know why but all I can do I stand up in service and no mama so may 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 and suddenly visions suddenly so there's people manifesting and we're casting out devils suddenly people that are coming blind they're able to see and all I'm doing is shamo may may see you know why because they're in a place of desperation. They're hungry for the presence of God. All they have is the oil of the Holy Ghost. And because they've found life, they will hold on to it with all their heart. They will not let it go. There's nothing that they would do to actually give up what they got. Because they found life. They, they live in a land of, of, of thousands of gods. The Hindu religion, they make everything a god. They make crickets gods, apples gods, chairs gods. Everything is a god. But Jesus comes and He demonstrates His power. Jesus comes and people are healed. Jesus comes and people can hear. They're having visions. They're seeing their friend. Let me tell you this story. I had a prayer line. We have a crowd of about a thousand people. And I start praying for people after, after my message. I started praying for people. And I'm about the fifth guy in. And all of a sudden, I lay my hand. There's a, there's a kid. He's probably about 
18, 19 years old. He's standing there and his dad is, is on this side and there's, a, there's another guy here and another guy here and they're actually holding this kid and he's shaking. He's like, like this. And I didn't think, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm going down the line, I'm laying my hands on people for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden I lay my hand on this kid and he flies backwards. He lands on the ground and he starts you know, I'm going down and I'm looking and all of a sudden he looks, I can see he's looking at his dad and words come out of his mouth. His dad all of a sudden screams, ah, he falls to the ground. His dad is now on the ground and I'm like, stop, what's going on? And I'm asking my interpreter and the interpreter's trying to figure out, he's over there talking and talking and he comes back and he tells me the story. He says, you see this 19 year old kid? When he was 14, he could speak and talk and do everything normal. But he went to bed one night, and a spirit came on him, and he woke up. He was mute and deaf, and he was violent. He actually would foam at the mouth. Isn't that a story in the Bible? Yeah. He, was, he was foam at the mouth. They would have to tie him into his bed so that, he didn't, so that he didn't hurt himself or hurt anybody else. Okay? And his dad, every day for five years, had to deal with his son that he, you could tell this father was cared about his son and all of a sudden his son after five years of being mute and deaf with one touch of the holy ghost sits up and words come out of his mouth dad i can hear dad i can talk and his dad was overcome his dad was actually taken his dad was ecstatic i take him up on stage and his dad, we have the interpreter work with his dad, and he tells the story. There's a thousand people in the crowd, okay? This guy and the interpreter end up telling the story. You know how many mutes were healed that night? Do you know how many people that couldn't hear were healed that night? They come, they literally, they run. They run to the altar. Not only do they run to the altar, it's in a village where there's, there's, there's shacks and homes all around where we're preaching. They literally run into the shacks, grab people, and pull them up to the altar so that the power of the Holy Ghost can come upon these people. Are you kidding me? One seed. One not two, not five, one seed. It only takes one seed and a heart that will hold on to it. One heart that will hold on to what the Lord says to you. So are you ready to do an impossible thing? The only thing between you and an impossible thing is one word from God. So do you have that word? Some of you are in a place where you're holding on to a word and you've been holding on for, to, for a while, and you don't know why, but it hasn't manifested yet. Keep holding it. But for those of you who are just going through the motions, who have never heard God, we need to get you to hear God. We need to have your life centered around hearing God. Right? Maybe you've never heard that. But your whole essence of relationship, Jesus actually said this. He said, he actually told people, he said, he said, some of you will cast out devils, some of you will prophesy, heal the sick, you'll do these supernatural things, but I'll say, depart from me, I do not know you. So I don't care how often you've come to church, I don't care if you've come to church for 30 years, I don't care what you've done in the past, my question to you is the same question that Jesus will ask you on the day, on that one day, do you know me? Right? Because I want to stress one thing. I don't function in a gift. I function by what I hear. 
When I go, I go and I wait for God to speak. And when he speaks, I say what he tells me to do. I do what he tells me to say. All that stuff that he says, I do. And if he doesn't, I don't do it. Okay? So, you guys okay? See, religion is a deadly thing. It's trickery. It's actually designed to keep you paralyzed and comfortably numb. You know that song, Comfortably Numb? That's a lot of the American church. You go in on Sunday, you sit down, stand up three songs, go through the routine. Some of you might even raise your hands. Go through, go through the next step, you leave service. And then you go through the week. You go through the same routine, you come back. Same routine, same routine. Five years are gone, 10 years are gone, 15 years are gone. And you've never received the seed of life because you've been deceived by dead religion. Jesus died not only for His blood to cover you, to cover sin, but He died. What did Jesus say when He died? He actually rose from the, from the grave. But actually, this, He said this. He went to hell. He first descended into hell. He took the keys of death and Hades. So now He has the keys of life and death. He holds all keys. He, ro- he rises up from, from the grave, right? He's walking on the earth and he tells his disciples one command. Do not leave this city because when I ascend, I'm going to send upon you the power of the Holy Ghost. And just as I heard my father, you will have dreams, visions. You will trust him. You will wait on him. You will be one with my father. And life will be released into the earth. There's, no, there's nothing about religion in that process other than you committing in your heart to hear God and execute, or trusting Him to execute what He says He will execute, His Word. See, a lot of people think that if they read the Bible, they're engaged in the Word of God. No, that Bible is a love letter. That Bible is a love letter designed to actually reveal to you your need of a living Savior, the one who not only died for your sin, but the one who ascended to give you the anointing oil, the Holy Ghost, so that you would hear God. Are you with me? Everybody all right? There's a pull in the Spirit that there would be missionaries, that there would be evangelists and prophets, people awakened to actually trust God to do the impossible, not come to church next week. This might be a freaky thing for you, but whether or not you come to church next week isn't that big of a deal to God. What is a big deal to God is if you submit your life to Him to hear Him in your prayer life because He has something to say to you. And when you know He has something to say to you, you pursue Him with all your heart. That's what love is. Jesus gave two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Everything. And out of that will flow life. Out of that gives you the ability to love people. Right? So how have you centered your life? Is your life centered around prayer? Are you hearing God? Are you working to trust God because He has an impossible thing for you to do? Or are you caught up with the comfortably numb guys who just want to go into the same routine and come back to church and hope they have the next hot service? How many hot services do you need? Do you need five more? Do you need ten more? 
Or do you need one man to confront you and say, are you submitting yourself in prayer the way the Lord calls you to pray that He can speak to you and you can hear Him and that you can be awakened by one word to go do a supernatural thing? Do you know the Holy Spirit? That's the question. Do you know the Holy Spirit? I use this example this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it now because I think it's a good illustration of Jesus and what Jesus came to do. You know, Jesus came as a lamb, right? The Bible, through many different scriptures and prophecies, references Jesus as a lamb, a sheep, right? Do you know that a sheep actually has... Over in the Middle East, there's a certain viper that is prevalent. And do you know that sheep actually have in their blood an anti-venom to the bite of the serpent? Isn't, the, isn't that an amazing thing? I mean, think about, think about the power of the blood. Jesus covers your sin, right? The power of the blood has anti-venom in that no matter if the serpent bites you, the power of the blood has the power to heal you. You're not, wasn't that the first prophecy? The first prophecy after Adam and Eve sinned was that He will bruise your heel. He'll, he'll bite you, but the, the bite of the serpent will not have power over you. He will crush your head. That was the first prophecy. That is the Lamb, Right? That's the Lamb of God. But there's another element of, of the sheep. The sheep actually requires a shepherd to put oil on it. When the sheep are out in the field, the oil is, ne- is absolutely 100% necessary. It's not an option. The anointing of God is not an option. The shepherd, if he, if, if he left the sheep go without oil, the sheep, there's a fly that's prevalent in the Middle East. And that fly would actually seek out sheep specifically. And it would climb up into their nose and lay eggs. And once it laid eggs, even though that sheep, that lamb, is immune to the bite of the serpent, the the egg of the fly would actually hatch and the maggots would go into the brain of the sheep and literally eat it alive. It would make it go crazy. How many, how many Christians do you know hear voices continuously? They're under the blood of Jesus, but they're not clothed in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because a prayer life is the most vital element of your walk. A prayer life is not an optional thing. A prayer life where you go to the good shepherd, the one who's in heaven, the high priest, and he actually, you, re, you actually pull on him that he would put oil on not only your body, but on your face, on your eyes, on your ears, on your nose, so that that fly could not lay its eggs. That oil was actually the protectant so that the eggs of the fly would actually fall off, fall off of the sheep. How many of you know you live... You're, you're a spirit in a body. You're not a body with a spirit. And because you're a spirit with a body, you live in a spirit world. The spirit world is more real than this place that you're locked into. This is temporary. The spirit world is forever. Right? And if Jesus is real and the Holy Ghost is real, so is Satan and every demonic power. We war against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And if you walk through life thinking that you went to the altar once, and you, you claim that you, you have the blood of Jesus, my question to you is, do you have the oil? 
Because the oil is the, is the transfer, the, the ability to transfer into the spirit realm. The ability to see in the spirit, the ability to have dreams, the ability to have supernatural prophetic encounter, living, breathing, tangible touch with Jesus Christ. Amen? So who here routinely hears the voice of God? Who here actually has dreams and visions on a routine basis? Amen? Alright, those, those who do not, Jesus gave this command to you. He gave the command that when He ascended into heaven, after He rose from the grave, He ascended into heaven, He actually said, do not leave this city until I send the anointing so I send the power of the Holy Ghost that you would be clothed in the anointing. The power that equips you to hear the voice of God. And the Holy Ghost will lead you through life. And sometimes you'll sit in a church for a time. You'll be part of a church for a time. Maybe you'll be a missionary for a time. Maybe you'll be sent to a school for a time. Maybe you'll be sent down the road to visit one old lady who doesn't know Jesus yet. Whatever it is. If you hear God, you're in relationship with Him. But my fear is there's hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of people that come into our churches that claim to know Jesus but don't know anything about His living, breathing, spoken Word to you. Because you're comfortably numb, allowed to sit in a chair and never being challenged to do an impossible thing. See, Jesus... Jesus he has so much oil sitting up there that he's looking for people to dump it on. There's no limit of oil. The only thing limiting the oil of heaven is you. He promised he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, that you would dream dreams, that you would hear his voice, that you would do supernatural things, and that most importantly, he would know you and that you would know him. Amen? Everybody okay? So if you had to answer the question right now, would you be able to say, I know him and I'm comfortable that I know him? Or would you have to say, you know what? I'm kind of pretty numb. All I do is come to church and it's part of my routine. I kind of believe, but I don't really hear God and I'm not sure that that's for me. That's a lie from the devil. That is such a lie from the devil. But here's the deal. You've got to want the anointing. You've got to know that Jesus not only came as a lamb with, with, with blood that, was, uh, that had the antivenom in it. He came so that He could give you, the sheep, the oil of the Holy Ghost, that you would not be subject to the earth, the flies, the demonic powers that roam the earth. The demonic powers would be subject to those who are clothed in oil. Actually, in, in Luke 24, when he said, do not leave this city, he actually said, he actually said, do not leave because I'm sending the clothing upon you. I'm coming to clothe you. The clothing, the garment of heaven. The garment of heaven. You see, I don't know if you got the whole sheet thing. The whole sheep thing is that when he not only gives you his blood, he gives you his oil and a sheep, this little innocent sheep, that's you. You can roam the earth as an innocent sheep of God and nothing by any means shall harm you. 
Nothing. You give, he gives you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the supernatural power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall harm you. That's what he said to those who love him. Right? Let me tell you this dream. The Lord has been really pulling on me to actually stretch, be stretched deeper into the anointing. And you say, well, how deep can you go in the anointing? I don't know. There's guys that have raised a hundred men from the dead. I've raised zero. But I'm ready for my first one. Right? I had, I, had, I, had a, I had this dream a few weeks ago. And in this dream, Jesus and, and uh, the Holy Spirit and five angels. There's five angels that the Lord introduced me to in 2011. And He has consistently released these five angels at different times to come and give me things, speak to me, impart different things to me in dealing with the situations that I was dealing with. And so in this dream, the Lord actually takes me with these five angels into this graveyard. And we walk up on to this freshly covered grave with fresh dirt, and the five angels start digging and moving all the dirt off of the grave. And when he gets down to the, to the coffin, he, he opens the coffin and there's this person that appears dead inside of, of the casket and there's oil saturated all over this guy. This, this person is, it, there's actually like inches of oil laying in the casket. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit sit this person up and start to unravel this, this person. And all of a sudden he unravels this person's head, and I realized, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. And when he keeps unraveling, it's like I see myself coming alive out of this casket. And when I come alive out of this casket, I'm like overcome that I can, I'm, I'm alive, but I see this new me raised from the dead. And Jesus starts to laugh, and he puts this robe on me, and he, he starts to speak to me, and he says, it's like, it's like this cocky Jesus, like this very confident Jesus. He's like, you want to see something cool? He says, come here. And so he takes me over and he, he bends me down. And we're, we're looking inside the casket. And all of a sudden, I can see this spirit, this, this spirit that's wedged up on the side of, of the coffin. And Jesus takes uh, my, my hand and he rubs his, his hand down my arm and takes the oil off my arm. And he touches this spirit, and this spirit starts to scream, No! No! And Jesus starts to laugh. And he, I'm looking, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's the Grim Reaper. That's the spirit of death. And I want, I'm here to tell you that when, when, when you are clothed in the anointing, when, the, when Jesus takes you through the steps of life, even when you go through seasons of wilderness and seasons of death, the Lord has prepared your time of resurrection long before he, you actually get to that coffin. And when He raises you up out of the dead place, when He raises you up out of the dead place, that spirit has learned that no longer are you afraid of death, that the spirit of death is afraid of you. That no longer does anything on this earth have power over you but because the anointing has clothed you. Because the anointing actually causes fear. Do you know the anointing of God causes fear in every demonic power on earth? 
So do you, how, what, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your value of the oil of the Holy Ghost, the presence of Almighty God? Do you value it? Do you run to it every morning? Do you go grab hold of it and say, Lord, I'm not going anywhere today until I have your anointing because you thought of me, that you would anoint me, that even before I went to a place of wilderness and death, that you had my resurrection on your heart, that you had me being born again on your heart. See, a lot of us have the wrong definition of born again. A lot of us think that being born again is one trip to an altar. And granted, I've seen people miraculously changed in one trip to an altar. But most people, until they actually enter a relationship with the Holy Ghost, and the Lord actually equips you with the power of the Holy Spirit, and He raises you up, He equips you to do an impossible thing. Most people don't hear the voice of God. Most people don't know Jesus. They don't know Him in supernatural ways. And the Lord wants every one of you to actually hear Him to do the supernatural. Are you with me? Everybody all right? You see, you know, the root word of agape, of love, is actually the word faith. You can't have true love without faith. And the, the root word of faith is actually commitment. It's covenant relationship with the Lord. And that's why so many churches have the wrong understanding of unity. We have all these people running around trying to make people lovey-dovey and feel good with each other when the majority of them don't really have a deep relationship with the Lord, don't know what love is, and therefore can't commit to people even when they screw things up and do the wrong thing. They can't stay with them because they don't really truly have love. You feel that? It's a major problem. Do you know why? It's a wrong definition of unity. You can't have unity without God as your center, without Christ as your center. Jesus said this in John 17 when he was talking to the disciples before he ascended. He actually said, he said, I pray, Father, that they would be one with you just as you and I are one. Unity is with you and the Father, you and Christ. And out of that unity comes a supernaturally equipping of love that allows you and prepares you to do and love people that you normally could not love. Can you love people? Uh, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Faith never fails. Commitment never fails. And that's what Jesus is really after. He's after a heart that's committed. That you can love even when it doesn't feel good. The test of your love isn't really when things are going cool and everything's great and you and your wife or husband are all lovey-dovey and the people in the church are getting along awesome, right? The true test of love is when they're not and the Lord calls on people who He can trust to go love when it's not warranted. That's supernatural. 
That's not only the power of the blood, that's the power of the Spirit. Jesus referenced Zechariah 4 when, he, when in Zechariah 4 it says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. Jesus in John 3 was actually saying that to be born again, you must be born of water and the Spirit. So if you can't love when it's not warranted, are you born of the Spirit? And that takes... You know, you know when that person actually does that wrong thing to you? That cut that hurts? The only person that survives that is one that goes into their prayer closet with the Lord and there's a fresh oil that is clothed down over you and enables you to actually go love and do something that is supernatural. Right? See, I'm, I've, I was talking about supernatural things about going to another nation because the Lord speaks. But out of the relationship is the oil, the, 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 the compassion of Christ that flows out of a person's heart to actually is that, that is actually the fuel that drives you to go. How can you go to a nation if you can't love your neighbor? Right? Is there anybody in here who needs to look to their neighbor right now and say, man, I'm sorry, dude, <laughs> but I love you. Huh? See, only Christ can equip a person to love when it's not warranted. Christ had to hang on a cross. He had to, he had to literally go to the cross when He didn't want to. And, and He did it because He cared for the people who actually were whipping and beating Him. And I don't know why I'm going this direction, but I feel, I feel the tug of the Lord to, to talk about this love thing. Because... If you don't have love, you don't have Christ. I said all that to um, talk about something that I think is important for this house and for this body. And everything I just said for the last hour, I didn't have any plan of talking about. That just came out. What I actually wanted to talk about with, was this, and I think that just prepares your heart to hear what I had to say. Because what I have to say is kind of revealing, but it's also kind of hard depending on what perspective you're hearing it from. <clears throat> I had this vision of Steve and Tabby, and um, the Lord's been talking to me. You know, Stephen, I've known Steve and Tabby for about two and a half years now. About the same time the Lord called me to go to India, He connected me with these guys. And... Um, We've been coming here and having fun in the Spirit ever since. And normally I don't really preach a hard word like this. It's usually a sloppy mess. I don't know what, what this is exactly for, but I think um, you know, sometimes the Lord gives anesthesia so that you can receive something that might be a little bit hard. And for the last six months, the Lord has been showing me certain steps of Steve and Tabby and what this house is dealing with and what is confronting this house. And I've been calling them and I'm encouraging them and I'm, I'm trying to help them walk their way through um, the current situation they're dealing with. And um, I'll just go ahead and tell you the vision and then we'll talk about some different things. Um, in this vision, I saw Jesus and the Holy Spirit leading Steve and Tabby in this church to a stagnant pond. 
And you might say, well, why does Jesus lead people to stagnant ponds? That doesn't seem right. Well, did he lead me to India? Did he lead me to a stagnant pond, a dead place? He leads people to places that he needs them to resurrect. Okay? There's a mission in what I'm about to say, so don't get off kilter until you hear the very end of this. So I see Jesus and the Holy Ghost leading Steve and Tabby to a stagnant pond. And the church people are along the edge of the pond and they're all naked, just looking into the stagnant water. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes Steve and Tabby along uh, the, the bank of one side of the pond and he has them watch a certain area in the pond. And suddenly this crocodile appears and is raised up out of the water. Okay? He motions for Steve to follow him out in the water and he positions Steve in a position behind the crocodile, enabling him to jump on top of the crocodile and begin to wrestle the crocodile. And I see Jesus like this coach. Do you ever see a wrestling coach? I mean, those guys are on the mat and they're going, come on, come on, do this, do this. And this is what Jesus is doing to Steve. And he's coaching him the whole way through this wrestling match with this crocodile. And he takes, he, uh, the Holy Spirit takes Tabby on the edge of the water, and Tabby wants to engage, but the Holy Spirit has her kneel on the edge of the water and begin to pray. All, she, all she's instructed to do is pray, and she's seeing Steve wrestle with this crocodile in this stagnant water, and every once in a while this crocodile would move over to the water, and Steve is desperately trying to keep this crocodile from going to the edge of the water close enough to where it can snatch a person. And no matter how hard he's trying and wrestling this thing, this thing makes it over to the edge and snatches a person, takes it under, begins to twist, all the while with Steve on his back, and luckily Steve resurfaces with it, but the person has been consumed by the crocodile. And over a period of time, one by one, I see these people being attacked by this crocodile, and Steve and Tabby are in these positions that you would not think the Holy Spirit would put people in. Putting a person in a place to wait and pray and putting a man on the back of something that is stronger than him, having to watch people be consumed and feeling powerless in the process. Right? How many people have disappeared from this church over the last two years? All right. So this goes on, this goes on, and I'm calling them and I'm encouraging them and I'm praying and, and we're working through this and we're talking about how to press through this and what the Lord is actually saying and doing and what's going to happen. And so I, I'm, I keep praying with the Lord and, and asking and, and all of a sudden, um, just here in the last few weeks, I saw the Lord come to Tabby and He pointed at her and when he pointed at her, a sword appeared in her hand and he, immediately she was instructed to stand up and take action in the fight. And about this moment, she rushes in and Steve is able to maneuver this alligator up in the air to where its belly is exposed. And Tabby reaches this sword into the belly of the alligator and this alligator, I'm sorry, this crocodile and this crocodile loses its it loses life and Steve and Tabby reach inside of the crocodile and they start pulling garments 
out of the crocodile. Not only their garments, they tie, they tie each other's garments on them tightly. And then they start seeing the people that are naked around the edge of the water. And they start pulling garments out and start running around the edge of the pond, tying garments on the people. And when they tie the garments on the people, it's like the people are able to see in a way they couldn't see before. And when they see the stagnant water, no longer is stagnant water, it's transformed into oil. It's like an oil well. And when the, when, when the stagnant water is transformed into oil, suddenly this, this highway appears that goes off and connects into this, to this river. And I see the people that were clothed in the garments, some of them stay around the oil well, but some of them get on the highway and they run out uh, on the highway and, and find where it connects with the river. And there's people floating down the river with tickets to come to the well. And they start, they start grabbing these people out of the river and taking them on this super highway to get them to what was once a stagnant water to a place where it's teething with the oil of the Holy Ghost. And I don't know what your interpretation of that is, but I'll give you my interpretation. First, let me talk about something. In the story of Job, the Lord actually asks Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And that might be a strange thing. Why would the Lord take somebody to a stagnant pond? Right? Why would the Lord take them there? Because the Lord had something greater to offer. Job actually received double for the whole process that was worked through. Right? So God intended to give him more. And the question you need to understand is who actually has power over Leviathan? You, you, you prayer warriors, you, you people who engage in uh, supernatural warfare. You know, the Bible actually says um, um, in, in, in uh, Job chapter 41, the Lord actually describes Leviathan to Job. Leviathan is the crocodile. Okay? The crocodile actually is so powerful that the Lord says, who can, who can cause Leviathan uh, to come up with a hook? You, you're powerless. You don't have power over it. Only I have power over the, over the crocodile. Isaiah 27 verse 1 actually says, who can destroy Leviathan but the sword of the Lord? Okay? That, means, that actually means that you have to wait on the Lord in prayer to get the prophetic utterance that will actually cut open the crocodile and give not only their garment for the place that they've been called to, but the people that are called to be around that pond with them, that they would be closed for the calling that's upon this house. Okay? So maybe you can relate to some of the nature of Leviathan. Maybe you can look around at some, some of the people and some of the situations you're dealing with, but Leviathan is a destroyer. Job lost everything. He lost his children. He was one of the most wealthiest mans in the region he lived. He lost all his money. He lost everything, right? It was taken from him. And crocodiles kill by taking people under the water and twisting them. When truth is twisted in a place, that truth will actually kill people. And Leviathan is actually feeding on people's clothing. He's feeding on their spiritual mantle, getting them to curse each other instead of bless each other. And when they curse each other, 
out of Leviathan's belly are they able to cut out what Leviathan stole in a season? Because the waters are stagnant and everybody's standing around looking at each other wondering what, the, what in the world is going on and why are we in this stagnant water? Leviathan's a covenant breaker. He's uncommitted. He can't stay. The nature, the nature of love is actually you make a commitment, right? Love, the root word of love is, is the word pistis. It means faith. And the only way you get faith is by hearing God. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Not what's in your Bible. He can speak to you through your Bible. But the word, the word, word there is the word rhema. Meaning that you hear God and He imparts faith. You can't create faith on your own. So the only way faith can exist in a house is if you have people clothed in the power of the Holy Ghost and you're hearing God. And if you're not hearing God, you're faking it. I can't be more blunt. If you're not hearing God, you're faking it. And I'm not telling you to leave like you're not welcome here. I'm imploring you. Jesus has an anointing for you. He has clothing for you. There are people here who are fighting for your clothing. And I know there's a lot of people that don't come here who are here to, to, to listen. I wasn't actually planning on doing this. The Lord unctioned me to do this here in probably the last 48 hours. That it's, This vision is so important because... What did I start out talking to you about? Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah, I am well able to execute what I let you see. I'm telling you guys that this place, it may appear like there's stagnant water and there's people who are poor, blind, and naked standing around the outskirts around what perceived to be stagnant water, but this is an oil well. This is an oil well. This is an oil well. And there are people that are going to be anointed and clothed in the power of the Holy Ghost that are going to run down this super highway. And there's going to be people come to this house just to be anointed with what you carry. This is not just an average battle. This is a battle for a territory, for a place. Leviathan is not just some little monkey demon that crawls over somebody that you have to cast out and get rid of. Leviathan is a feature creature, right? It's something that rules a territory. And I'm telling you guys, when you win this battle, when that prophecy comes out of you, when the Lord puts that sword in your hand, Leviathan's belly is cut and what used to do, be a stagnant water becomes a fresh pool of anointing. See, you can do one of two things with this prophecy. You can say, oh, that's just another prophecy. I've heard a lot of them. And you go on down the road. Or you can grab hold of it because the heart that grabs hold of it becomes a fertile soil where that seed can actually bring forth fruit. Is everybody okay? <laughs> All right, here's the deal. These people standing on around outside that are naked. You know, Job had a whole bunch of friends. He had three friends. They're, I'm going to probably butcher these names, but Elias, Elipaz, Bilbad, and Zophar. They stood around Job and said, Look, Job, how in the world can you end up at a stagnant place 
How can you lose your family? How can you lose all this wealth? You must have sinned. You must have done something wrong. You must have like screwed up somewhere and God's wrath is coming all over you. And I'm here to tell you that if that nature is what you hold in your heart, the Lord is going to cut that out because that is not Christ. That is not the love of God. That's religion looking at people trying to find an answer for something that is so far beyond the natural eyes. It has a supernatural um, countenance that can only be seen and realized and grabbed hold of in the Spirit. So when you look at a situation, when you look at uh, what appears to be a stagnant water, maybe as an average man, you look at it and say, that's a dead thing. But as a prophet, I look at it and say, it's teeming with life. There will be people coming from miles around to be anointed in the power of the Holy Ghost that you will carry one day something that is living. And not only will there be people clothed around that pond of oil, that oil well, but you'll be sending people out to go get those people who need that anointing. They'll be, they won't be allowed to sit there like couch potatoes on Saturdays and just sit there waiting for the next football game. There'll be something burning inside of them because they have a piece of clothing on them and they'll have to run out in the highways and the byways and grab hold of who the Lord says to go speak to and bring them to the place of the anointing. Are you with me? Is everybody all right? So do you see prophetically or do you see as a religious man? Jesus would never take somebody to a stagnant pond. Did he take me to a graveyard? Did he take me to an impossible dead place where they really don't even believe in Jesus? Where I'm alone by myself? I don't go with anybody. I get on a plane by myself, meet a man I never met, send thousands of dollars overseas because Jesus said to do it and trust a guy in a third world where they have nothing that he can handle $10,000 to set up crusades for two weeks. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Who, who is stupid enough to do that? Who is stupid enough to believe that? Jesus never calls you to do anything possible. It may look impossible right now, but I'm telling you, there's an oil well. You're sitting on an oil well. You're sitting on an oil well. You are sitting on an oil well. And the people that you look at around you that can't engage in prayer, that look stagnant, that look at the stagnant waters like they're naked and blind, your prayers, your wrestling match holds their destiny and you're going to clothe them. The Lord is using you to equip them and clothe them and they're going to go out into the streets and do supernatural act. You're not just fighting for you. You're fighting for a region. You're fighting for a house. You're fighting for the people that you love because you love them. Because you love them. I said it's because you love them. Show me, may say, day, may sa, no brain, no pay. See, there's a scripture in the book of Revelation that talks about stagnant water. Maybe you read it. This is Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning 
of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were neither cold nor hot. So then because you are lukewarm, you are stagnant, and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you from my mouth. Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do, do not know, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blinded, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and clothed in garments. Are you kidding me? How could a scripture have stagnation and garments and match up with a vision that's given to a house? That doesn't, God doesn't really do that, does He? He doesn't confirm things with scriptures and words and and people come in to encourage people to do impossible things, does he? God doesn't look for people to do things that are possible. He calls people to do impossible things. And the only way you'll ever do anything impossible is if you pursue Christ with all your heart. That you buy gold refined in the fire. That doesn't mean that you come to routine church week after week and go through the routine and hope for somebody to pray for you. Jesus wants you to sit in his presence, that you would dwell, that you would be saturated with so much oil that when you walk up to people, there's just oil, oil, oil flowing off of people. Dead people being raised, the blind seeing. Who will contend for the oil? The Lord is asking who will contend for oil? Who will not just accept the routine normal thing that you grew up in? Three songs, ding, ding, ding. Some of you even go to spiritual church, you know what's going to happen. You call it spiritual, but you come in, you do 45 minutes of worship, then somebody does the prophetic thing, and the pastor doesn't really pay attention to it because he has the very thing he's preaching. He gets up and preaches his thing, and by 12, 12 12.30, you're out the door. You call it spiritual because you say, I believe the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost doesn't have freedom to move in your service or in your prayer time or, in the, or, 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 even, or even better, that He calls you to come and pray together, that he has, you, the, the, the Lord has an actual word for a group of people because He wants to ignite people and send them out on the streets to do supernatural things. And many of our spiritual churches are willing to come back and do the routine mundane thing and they claim to know the Holy Spirit, but the pastor holds that Holy Ghost. He holds that dove in a cage presenting you the Holy Ghost, but he's caged and limited what the Holy Spirit can do. I hear the Lord say, I'm looking for people who will let the dove out of the cage. I'm looking for a people who will allow the dove to sit on their shoulder and be released. And bring back olive branches of promise. I'm looking for people who will allow this dove to flow through the congregation and be willing to wait on a on a on the voice of the Holy Ghost that says, you know what, we're not gonna preach today, we're not even gonna worship today, we're gonna take the church to the street and prophesy today. He's looking for a people who would be so in tune with the anointing of ready to do the impossible. Actually saying, God, I want to do an impossible thing today. I'm not waiting and I'm not willing to do the same routine thing. I'm getting up today. I want to hear you and I want to hear a name who who needs to hear the Holy Ghost that you would send me to him now. Are you alive or are you dead? 
You say, why is a guy, why is a guy so passionate about a prophecy? Because I saw it, I spoke it, and what the Lord said, I let you see, I will cause to manifest. He's looking for a people to be so confident in what the Lord says to him that all this church BS and all this junk that happens inside a church that you go run into your prayer closet and you say, what's the Lord saying? And you run out and you say, this is what the Lord said. It is a sword that will even cut the belly of a crocodile, a most powerful supernatural being. Come on, church. God didn't call you to do anything possible. He called you to do the impossible. He called you to see a well where there's no well. And I believe, Steve, that you prophesied when he named this place the well. You prophesied, dude. You didn't even know what you were saying. And you thought it was water, but the Lord says it's the anointing oil. You thought it was water. You thought it was just the washing of the water of the word that cleanses the soul, but the Lord says it's the anointing that makes pen supernatural that causes them to go into the world to shake it like Jesus shook it. Like the apostles went into nations and shook nations because they were anointed in the power of the Holy Ghost. Because they sought the Lord to see, just like Jesus said, I go in prayer, I wait on the Lord, and I do as he says. It's what he said when he was arguing with the Pharisees who knew the Bible. They knew exactly what the Bible said. They could regurgitate it. And Jesus said, you don't even know me. This is the pattern of spiritual life. You go to the Father in prayer, you hear him, and you execute what he says. I do nothing unless I see in the Spirit and do what the Father tells me to do. Amen? Amen! 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. You need to write this on your mirror. You actually need to challenge yourself with this Scripture. You actually need to write it on your mirror and ask yourself every day if you're spiritual or not. Paul said this, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You notice in that scripture that the word gift is is italicized? It actually wasn't meant to be there. It's actually an intent to actually try to explain what Paul was trying to say or what the Holy Spirit was trying to say. The word spiritual there is the word pneuma. It's the word wind. It actually means the Spirit of God. Paul was saying, I do not want you to be ignorant of the spiritual life of God. And he's saying that when you're alive in the spirit, just like when Jesus said you were, when you are born again, you can see the kingdom. Paul was saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be at the mercy of the world. I don't want you to be a victim of circumstance. I don't want you to be without direction. I don't want you to be powerless because life in the spirit is this. There are words of wisdom. The Lord will speak to you with knowledge, words of knowledge, with supernatural tongues and interpretation of tongues. He will give you prophecy. He will give you insight. He will give you faith. He will give you all these impartations in the spirit. Faith is a spiritual thing. You can't make it up. You can't fake it. The church is full of fakers. Hey, man. I'll pray for people. I want every person possible to get saved by the Holy Ghost. But for you who have sat in religious settings for years and even decades, and there's no evidence of life 
There's no evidence of supernatural love. There's no evidence of the Lord speaking to you. I question. I'm actually, this is an altar call to get you saved, to get you born again. Because Jesus said, if you are born again, you will see in the Spirit. You will not be ignorant of spiritual life. You will hear my voice. You will have dreams and visions. You will prophesy. It's not an if. A lot of pastors and preachers think that gifts are like this optional bolt-on thing. And they treat gifts as like this separate thing. You either have the Holy Spirit and He's speaking to you, or you don't. There's no middle. There's, a, there's actually a chasm. It is like from here to the wall. And there's nothing in the middle. There's no maybe. There's no life. You either hear God and obey His voice, or you go through routines and come back to service the next time and sit in a pew. That's called dead religion. That's called dead religion. That's called you know the ways of the Lord, but it's lukewarm. You sit at a stagnant pond. There is a pulling in the Spirit. There is an imploring pull in the Spirit that you would wear your garments, that you would be clothed in your garments, that you would hear the voice of God, that you would not be a victim of the world, but the world would be subject to you because you hear Jesus. Are you with me? Listen, I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know where you're at in your relationship. But what you have is a thimbleful of what Jesus has for you. You say, well, what gives this guy the right to actually talk to me like that? You know, I was sitting in a service one time and I heard this guy talking about praying in tongues. And how praying in tongues actually opens you up to the supernatural. It actually is the voice of the anointing. And when you pray in tongues, and this is all I can teach on. I'm actually going to teach on this tomorrow. But in Isaiah 28, the word of the Lord says, to whom will he teach knowledge? To whom will he reveal himself is what that's meaning. He says, is it the prophet? Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You know that scripture? If you've been in a charismatic church long, you've probably heard that scripture. All right? The next line, he answers himself and says, No, I will teach the rebel with a stammering lip and another tongue. You know what that means? The Hebrew word for that, the Hebrew interpretation for that is, it's like a baby who's been given a simple voice. And you trust it so much that when you cry out, like when that baby cries out, you know, the mother's milk, it's not like the mother has to say, "Mm, Time to turn on the milk. When that mother hears a baby cry, that milk flows. There's no stopping it. You can't control it. It doesn't matter how many pads you put on yourself. That milk is going to flow. And that's the way it is in the Spirit. That whenever you trust what the language of the Lord and you say, Lord, I need to hear you today and I'm not leaving this room until I hear you. And suddenly the Lord floods you with vision. He floods you with purpose. He speaks to you. And suddenly you come alive. I will teach you in a more humiliating way. You think you're going to read that Bible and you're going to understand me? No way. You think you're going to understand why I led you to this place or to that place or why I'm leading you to that place? No way. You can read that Bible all day long, but you'll never understand it until you come to me my way. Until you come to me in the Spirit And you come to me, and you come to me, and you knock on my door, and you press until I answer. 
And my promise is that I will answer you. My milk will flow to you. If you cry to me in the Spirit, my milk will flow to you. But it's not going to flow unless you come. And you say, well, I don't need that tongue thing. I, I'm not sure about that. I don't need it. That doesn't, I was taught that that's of the devil or that doesn't. That's, let me tell you something. I heard a man preach on tongues one time. And he talked, he talked about the Lord leading him to spend a year praying in the Holy Ghost for extended periods of time. I left that service and I said, Lord, I'm going to pursue you like I never pursued you before. This was, this was January of 2012. And I said, Lord, I'm going to pursue you. And I went into prayer and he gave me a number. He gave me a number of six hours a day. And I found somehow found time. I'm an engineer. I'm a global manager. I fly all around the world. Somehow, some way, I found time every day, not only to pray in tongues while I was jogging or working out, but he would wake me up in the middle of the night and I would pray in tongues because I pressed him and I said, I am going to pursue you your way. And I would pray. And somehow every day I found a way to pray in tongues, five, six, seven hours a day. And as I did it, the supernatural world opened up to me. That's when Jesus started coming to me and, and, show, and introducing me to angels, giving me angels' names, telling me what this angel does, telling me what this oil is for and why he only gives it to this situation. I mean, he explained things to me that you could never do by turning pages in a Bible. And let me tell you, I was probably one of the most vehement pursuers of trying to learn God by reading the Bible. Shelly, how many hours a day would I read the Bible? I read the Bible probably four or five, six hours a day when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I got so angry that I, I, I don't know why, but I wanted more. And when I heard this preacher preach, I, pr- I prayed in tongues for six hours a day and it changed my life. It, ch- it totally changed my life. It separated me from people and connected me to people. It separated me from certain things. It connected me to a nation. It opened up my ability to hear the Lord in a way that I could never hear him before. And you say, why would this guy be so on fire for the Holy Spirit? Because I know the power of the Holy Ghost. And his power is for every person in this place. I'm nothing special. I just chose to pursue him and somehow there was a gift put on me to actually pursue him for hours every day. And when he, he would wake me up in the middle of the night, some nights I only slept for two, three hours. And there was like this power. I can't explain it, but I would go to work and I would be able to function days on end by only sleeping several hours a night because of the presence of God that came upon me. I'm just testifying, guys. I am testifying of a love for God. I have pursued Him with all my heart, all my soul, my mind, and all my strength. And the moment He would say, Dave, I don't need you to go to work anymore at Owens Corning. I need you to drop everything you do. I need you to actually go live in a shack in India because this is what your calling is. These last two years were just a preparation, but if He said it, I'd drop it in a heartbeat. She might kick a little bit, but I'm telling you what, have I ever been in situations where the Lord told me to do something and you were like, I'm not doing it? What did I tell you? I said, I'm going. The Lord told me to go, I'm going. Let me tell you one other story. 2013, I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the Lord woke me up. I was working for a guy, he's probably... um, he made a half a million dollars a year, a big, big wig in Eastman Chemical. And the Lord woke me up and he says, tell Jerry Kuhn that you'll not be working for him in six months. And I was like, that's my boss. What, what the heck's he going to do? That's my boss. 
And the Lord said, tell Jerry Kuhn that you'll not be working for him in six months. <sighs> I'm sweating, dude. I'm talking. I've done things. The Lord woke me up. Go down to 7-Eleven. Wake me up. Go to the mall. This person wearing a white sweater. You need to tell that person this, this, and this. But this one, this one shook me to the core because my job was on the line. I walk into this guy and I said, Jerry, this is probably going to freak you out. I'm kind of freaked out. But the Lord woke me up out of a dream last night and he told me to tell you that I'll not be working for you in six months. Jerry's sitting there. And I didn't know it, but Jerry was a Presbyterian who was searching for more of the Holy Ghost. He was stuck in a family that traditionally went to a dead Presbyterian church. No Holy Ghost. But somehow that Holy Ghost was unctioning him that there was more for him. And I'm sitting there, he turned white as a sheet. And he, he says, you mean he knows my name? And I'm like, Jerry, he knows all the hairs in your head. I kid you not, dude. And Jerry's sitting there like white. I didn't know if I was going to have to resuscitate him, give him CPR. I didn't know what I was going to have to do to him. Jerry, he's sitting there. He goes, what's that mean? I don't know, Jerry. All I know is this, that in six months, either you're not going to be here or I'm not going to be here. And I turned and left his office. Luckily, he didn't fire me. He was a bit shaken. From that moment on, he was in my office every day asking about the Holy Spirit. And he got so shaken by the Holy Spirit that by the six-month mark, the Lord had picked me up and moved me back in Parkersburg. Six months to the week that I walked in his office, I was gone. Jerry calls me, shaken like a leaf. Just shaking like a leaf. Do you think I need the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Jerry. You ready for the Holy Ghost? Boom. Jerry calls me a year later. He goes, you're not going to believe this, but I preach in prisons. <laughs> All because of hearing the voice of God. I don't know, Dave, but I preach in prisons. I see people weep. I don't know why, but when I speak, these words come out and these prisoners have hope in their eyes. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many of those have happened to me. But the Lord is looking for a people who are not bound to dead routine church. And even if you call it spiritual, you come in, see some spiritual songs, and go through your routines. But if you don't have a pursuit that is so vehement, so radical, so determined to grab hold of the heart of God, that, that He would release things to you that He would trust you with to do supernatural things. I, think, I, I just feel the Lord is washing you clean of all your dead religion in here. And I'm here to tell you, Steve and Tabby, I saw it and I call it. You are, gonna, you are sitting in an oil well. You are in a place where the oil will flow. And not only will you be clothed in new garments, the war that you're fighting in, there's going to be people around you who are standing on the edge, not even putting their toe in the water, who are going to be clothed in garments. That when those garments put on them, they're going to run they're going to run on that highway to find those that the Lord has put a ticket in their hand. They're going to have vision in the Spirit and they're actually going to bring people to the, to the oil. 
So I don't care what this looks like now. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you think about what it looks like now. I, my prayer is that you would grab hold of this seed as they're grabbing hold of this seed and you would begin to pray with them and not against them by cursing the situation and asking doubtful questions about why is it stagnant or why isn't this happening or why isn't that happening. The Lord is pulling an army together right now that you would come together and where two or three are gathered in his name. Listen to me. When Charles Finney went to upstate New York and released great revivals, there was a man named Father Nash. Father Nash was one man that the Lord called to pray, and the Lord would connect him with with Finney. And two to three weeks before Finney would go to a city, the Lord would send Nash there. And And Father Nash would begin to pray so vehemently that he would pull down the power of the Holy Ghost, that he would hear God and prophesy what the Lord was saying to him. He wouldn't just go up there religiously and read the Bible and do certain things that looked religious. He would actually press God. He would hear God. And what he heard from God, he would release He would prophesy it. And by the time Finney showed up, it says there were people running out of the hills because they could feel the presence of God. And people who were literally crazy in mind, crazy with with bipolar and all these different things and physical problems, they literally ran to the meetings. And before Finney even preached, they were healed because a man prayed. Because a man heard the voice of God and released that fire where the Lord sent him. You were sent here. Don't believe the lie that you weren't sent here. You were sent here, and there's an oil well you're sitting on, and there are people who are going to be clothed that will get on a highway. Some will go to, the, to, to, to neighboring towns. Some will go to neighboring states. Some will go to nations. Some will go to nations, Steve. Some will go to nations, Tabby. Some will go. My God, are you excited? Are you excited? There's a harvest that Jesus said. (laughs) Jesus actually said that the harvest is white. He's looking for harvesters. You know how you become a harvester? You press God until he speaks and you go do what he tells you to do. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the School of the Holy Spirit. For more information or to request David at your church or conference, please go to davidcuppet.org. D-A-V-I-D-C-U-P-P-E-T-T dot O-R-G. You can also find the School of the Holy Spirit podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Charisma Magazine. For a deeper dive into the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to purchase David's new book, The Key of David, Experiencing the Voice of God, available on Amazon. We pray that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in a transforming way and become all that Christ has prophesied over your life.